find Daniel chapter number three. We're going to use our time. I'm grateful that you're here. And I was thinking, uh, as you've gathered here, you're all, I assume you were told to sit in the center section, but I'm going to give you a little pastoral tip. If you're going to pastor, you're going to really be thankful for people who sit center and front. And so I'm thankful that you're center and front today and not spread all across the auditorium. And so just tuck that away for later. But uh, remember, you lead by example. And so when, you, uh, when you're sitting in a church service, maybe you're interning somewhere, don't sit all the way in the back, sit in the front and encourage um, the pastor in that way. Daniel chapter number three, in verse number one, let's stand and read the first six verses and uh, we'll jump right into it. The Bible says, Daniel three, in verse number one, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold, of gold, whose height was three score cubits. How much is three score very good, and the breadth thereof, six cubits. He said, set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon, the Nebuchadnezzar, the king sent to gather together the princes and governors, the captains, the, the judges, the treasurers, the, uh, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then, the princes, governors, and captains, and judges, and treasurers, and counselors, and the sheriffs, all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto uh, the king, uh, unto the image, uh, unto the dedication of the image that uh, Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then, and herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. You may be seated. And Father, we ask you now, as we sit here in your presence, we thank you for the songs that were sung and, and, and how important it is, Lord, just to be reminded that we are to take a stand for you. And Lord, we need that constant reminder. And once again, we open up your word to this uh, inspired book of Daniel that you've provided for us. And we see the examples of men who stood. And we pray that we would heed their example. Fortify us this morning, strengthen us in your word and in our hearts and Lord, may the cares and burdens that are on, on these students' hearts and minds, Lord, would they be able to set them aside for a few moments, submit them to you, really, and be able to hear your word, and perhaps even the answer that you have for them would be found here in this moment. So Lord, we just ask that you take control of this time. We thank you for allowing us to be here. We thank you for the safety, and we certainly thank you for life again today by which we can serve you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been put in a place where your worship was tested? We defined worship last night as not just a song. And we need to really get that down because you're going to be tested on that as well in the days ahead. Uh, you, know, you see people talk about a service and they say, we had really good worship. Or they talk about a worship service and all they post is, is uh, pictures of people holding mics and, and, and a band and, and light show and etc. So we've really convoluted our concept of worship. 
We said last night that worship is, is being in balance with God. It's, it, is, it does include the idea of ascribing worth to, giving worth to God, but it's living in balance with his revealed word. As well, there is the concept within worship to bow down, to, uh, to exalt the person, the, the deity you're, you're worshiping or the thing that you're worshiping. And so uh, all these concepts are together, but if we could just have in our minds, it's to ascribe worth to you are so important that I'm going to, to bow, I'm going to submit myself to you, I'm going to submit my actions to you, I'm going to do what you say. And so here today we realize that Daniel's three friends, not Daniel in this, in this scenario, Daniel's three friends are going to be tested in this matter of worship And I am mindful of this fact that who we worship and what we worship determines the orientation of our lives. Now, we're all here today and we've sung some songs, but it doesn't mean that we're actually worshiping the God of heaven. You might be worshiping the problem and burden that you're facing. You might be worshiping your friend's opinions. You might be worshiping, hey, I want to be on this. I have this level of success in the ministry. You might have some other worship, but who we worship determines the orientation of our lives, how we go about our lives. And we must worship God alone as these individuals really teach us and demonstrate for us in the New Testament. We're told that all this was given for our learning for and for our example. And so we we take it as a divine example to us, God giving it to us. He wants us to learn how to worship him alone. Notice, first of all, in verses 1 through 6, the call to worship. We read this, but Nebuchadnezzar has uh, built this thing, and I, I have to believe there's a, a, a link between this statue that he has built and also the statue that he had a dream of in the previous chapter. We read that this thing was uh, going to be three, uh, three score cubits uh, tall, some 90, 90 feet tall if you do the math. And it was quite a large thing, nine feet wide, and it could be seen all around. It was 61 feet shorter than the Statue of Liberty, if you do the math. But it was made of all gold. It showed the incredible wealth, the incredible wealth of the Babylonian Empire. And even as Pastor mentioned last night, the the seat of of Satan, so much demonic activity there. And oftentimes we we realize just uh, the places that have the wealth doesn't mean that's that's blessed of God. We we do see that in the health, wealth, prosperity uh, gospel that is out there and and constantly portrayed that if you have wealth, uh, then it's a uh, blessing of God. Sometimes those that hate God have great wealth. In fact, there's some movers and shakers in our world today that have incredible wealth who use it for incredible evil. And it's a very difficult thing. So there's great wealth there. It could have been solid but, uh, or plated, but regardless, this is a large statue. This is a large image that is uh, covered in gold, and it could be seen from miles around. And so I want us to realize this image uh, was a display of their power, their wealth, but also notice the ideology behind this image. In verse, verse number two, if you look at it with me, he, he, uh, he set this up and he calls them all together. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to call you together for, uh, uh, for this dedication. And he's calling them together, getting all of his leaders and the people together uh, to show their uh, loyalty to the, uh, to the kingdom of Babylon. And I notice uh, maybe a couple of reasons we could give behind this image. The, the image uh, certainly uh, exalted the dominance of Babylon. It was a great thing to be able to call all, all the folks together and say, hey, come to this dedication and, and worship it. Uh, the, the dominance of Babylon, the gold certainly uh, was quite a statement. But I can't escape this as Nebuchadnezzar saw in his vision his kingdom, the head of gold, 
and then Medo-Persian, silver, and so on. I cannot, I cannot escape the, on the thought that as he builds this, oh yeah, I'm going to make it all gold. I'm not listening to the God of heaven. Now, he had an emotional response in the previous chapter, but, but here we, we realize he is still not broken before God. And by the way, you know, people, as they are on their journey towards Jesus Christ and accepting, there's many times they, they go back and forth in emotional responses. Yes, and then they, they lapse back into their own thinking. I have, to, I have to think that he sets this thing up and says, oh yeah, look at me. And I want all the people here, they're going to come. And they're going to worship, they're going to worship me, they're going to worship the, the Babylonian Empire, and we're going to continue on. And so, an honoring of the, of the gods, uh, Bel and Marduk, and an honoring of him as, as, a, as a king. On the surface, I very much doubt that, that Nebuchadnezzar thought, you know, this is the way I'm going to get those three boys. But it's amazing how oftentimes the world just goes on their merry way, doing their thing, and they just expect us to fall in line with it. And it's like, it's like we get caught up in, 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 in their afterthought that they, this is what you're going to do. Everyone's going to go along. Everyone's going to go along with the wokeism. Everyone's going to go along with the gender uh, confusion and ideologies. Everyone, and, and we, we say, no, 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 hold up. And then we get caught up in the midst of it. We get caught up because we took a stand. One author said his purpose was to get the people to honor the image as a sign of their loyalty to the Babylonian empire and to set him as a king of the empire. So while Nebuchadnezzar may not have planned to persecute those who had different religious beliefs, that was the result of, of what he had called that day. So there was a call for worship in verses two through six. You all come and you hear the music, you bow down. Music's a powerful thing. The world uses it to their advantage. You bow down at that moment. And there was a herald that was commanding very, very particularly, you, all people, all nations, all languages, you all bow down. Satan still wants all nations to bow down to the godlessness. All people to bow down. All languages to bow down. And so you fall down and you worship. It was commanded and it was for all people. This was not a choice. And we've seen this throughout this, uh, throughout this book already that uh, the, the consequences of disobeying this king meant death. And this time it was a burning, fiery furnace. But he says it was for all people in verses 4 through 7. The, the king expected everyone just to go along with it. Listen, this world expects you just to go along with it. They don't want you to put up a fight. Just go along with it. It's why it's so grievous when Christians give up a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time. And listen, as you, as you have people gathering in a, in a church service, you're going to be constantly reminding them, don't give up. Stand for that. Don't give up on that point in your workplace. You stand. I told you last night that we recently uh, spent some time trying to help our people to, how do you deal with those that are saying, hey, use my pronouns? How do you deal with it? And we took a, a couple of uh, growth group hours to, to deal with that and entertain the questions. And you know what? One of our, one of our young ladies was facing that and was so thankful for her. She has Down syndromes, and uh, she was just so burdened that she would do the right thing. She's a godly young, young lady. She's um, turning 25 and I'm so thankful for her and that she took a stand and did the right thing, even in that, in that moment. And uh, she trusted the Lord through it. And God can, uh, God can use a, a young lady with Down syndromes to, to, to hold up his truth in a society. So it's just command, just go along with it. Go along with it. Go along with the wokeism. Listen, we're going to face that. I believe that the gender ideology 
and the, the homosexual agenda is going to be one of the things that we, we get persecuted over. It is it's just ramping up so, so very much. Just go along with it. Did not Satan tell Jesus in the temptation, hey, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all this. Do you think he's still using that temptation? Hey, preacher boy, if you, if you just give up on this one thing, you can have the congregation. If you don't preach on that subject, you'll not lose that family. Right? And just give up a little bit. You bow down. You bow down. You worship them more than God. And so it was commanded. You all come together. You all bow down. Now, we see in verse number seven, a choice to stand. A choice to stand. These guys had a choice to make. Worshiping God is a choice. Look at verse number seven with me. Therefore, at the time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They fell down and worshiped it. Everyone did. Hey, everyone's doing it. We just need to go along with it. Everyone's doing it. And you know what I want us to notice here? In this, in this choice that they were about to, to make, the majority was worshiping the image. Now think about the majority today. The majority is against God. The majority, when you, we used to hear, and I didn't live through this, or maybe it was born at the, uh, at the front end of it, the moral majority. I'm not sure if there ever was a moral majority, or it just seemed as if it was, but we certainly don't have a moral majority today. And we are living, you are preparing for ministry, you're ministering in that environment. But the majority here was totally against God. They, they, they all fell down. The Bible says that all the people, the nations, the languages, they fell down. And the majority follows along with the demands. Oh, that's what they say? That's what we have to do. And they just follow along with the commands. And it's amazing how many times Christians become more in tune to what higher powers say than our highest power. Like Peter said, it is better to obey God rather than man. It doesn't mean that we have a, a wrong attitude. Friends, Something I learned through COVID was if I fix my eyes on Jesus, then obeying him, it might put me in opposition with man, but it'll help my spirit be right if I'm more concerned about obeying him than being against man. And that'll help you in the ministry if you'll just stay focused and the Lord will keep a sweet spirit. It'll keep a humble spirit. Well, I must obey my Savior. And so the majority is just going along with it. I, uh, uh, back in October, when uh, Speaker Mike Johnson was put in place, I had the privilege um, earlier in 2023 to be on a capital tour with, uh, with Speaker Johnson, and he wasn't Speaker at that time, and a group of pastors were there, and we sang in the rotunda on a night tour, and uh, we sang How Great Thou Art and Amazing Grace, and Brother Johnson was filming it. And uh, he posted it, and it got, it got picked up by Fox. It was a beautiful night. And uh, was touched by his testimony. We prayed with him and Senator Tim Scott on the House floor. I sat in front of, uh, on, the, on the Democrat side, I sat, and I, I looked down, and I, I saw the phone, and, and uh, it still had Nancy Pelosi's name, name there, though she wasn't Speaker of the House, but it still had Speaker Pelosi's name there on the phone. And we prayed there and just asked God to work. It was a moving night. But... Uh, it was quite a joy to see the Lord promote this man to that position. 
And I do believe that the Lord promoted him. He's a faithful man. And he has a powerful testimony of his faith. And uh, I, when he was interviewed by Hannity, and uh, Hannity asked him, hey, uh, people are asking, what's your worldview? He says, hey, go pick up a Bible, read it. That's my worldview. That's pretty good. I like that. I like that being uh, third in line to the president. And uh, so... Jen Psaki, uh, the former White House uh, press secretary, she has her own, uh, her own show now, and, and uh, she, uh, she picks this up, and she's uh, saying of him uh, and, and mentioning what he says, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, Johnson said. Some asked me today in the media, uh, they ask, uh, you're, uh, they're curious about you, people are curious, what does Mike Johnson think about the issues on, uh, under the sun? I said, well, go pick up the Bible, um, your Bible off the shelf, read it, that's my worldview. You heard that right. Saki says, the Bible doesn't just inform his worldview, it is his worldview, but it's not just his political ideology that should scare us. Johnson is basically a Christian fundamentalist. He believes that America is a Christian nation and that those values should be reflected in the interpretation of our Constitution. Now, did you just catch that? <laughs> now, I'm, I'm serious. The reason I bring that up today is because Okay, who's Jen Saki? She has a show. She was some, on something. But the, 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 the mindset of our world is, is not toward God. It is against God. And you are scary to them. You believing the Bible is a scary thing to them. Now, how far have we come when the, the founders of our nation says, hey, we recommend the reading of the Bible. In fact, the public schools had the, the reading of the Bible as a part of their, of their curriculum. And now here we are. It's scary if you believe the Bible. Do you think this world is not going to call us to worship them and their things and their wokeism and their ideologies? Yes, they are. And so what, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going through right now is exactly what you are going to face in your ministries. You're going to face it in a city if you, have, if you have any desire to get outside the four walls and pastor a community. You're going to face it in the community where they're asking you to worship their things. Well, you just should go along with it. There's so much more that could be said there. The majority thinks about purity. It's archaic. I, I mourn over how much Christians inside of our churches think that purity is just something to, to mess around with. Pastor Van told me something when I was in Bible college and I was preparing for marriage. He says, Your, how you approach the wedding altar will, will be an illustration that you carry with you for the rest of your life. You are in a wonderful time of life. God has given you a perfect time to focus on him. Some of you want to focus on, well, maybe it's her, maybe it's him, maybe it's his. Listen, just take this time. Submit yourself to the Lord. God will give you a spouse in time. You know, I've been married 16 years now, and I can't believe it. And you say, well, it's easy for you to say you're married, you have a family. No, it was very, very difficult to wait on marriage. But I'm glad I did. But don't go along with this culture that is throwing purity to the wind. This whole matter of pornography that you all hear about so much in the Renew series and all this thing, this is an important deal. I deal with, uh, I deal with this stuff constantly. It's important to walk in purity. 
But the majority says, don't worry about it. Who's in the minority? Let's, let's move on uh, quickly here. The minority is these guys. All, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are gathered around this image and they're all bowing down. But we have three guys, like a sore thumb sticking out, standing up. Well, couldn't we have just bowed down and prayed to God in our hearts? You'll get that question from Christians who are wondering, couldn't we just, couldn't we just worship God on the inside but go along with what my boss is saying to do? Do you realize that if we preach the Bible and we expect our congregations to follow it, do you realize that there are going to be people who lose their jobs for standing for the word of God? That's a sober thing. Let's not take that casually. But the reality is, yeah, three people standing up. Three people. That, that's an incredible minority. And uh, Christianity has always been in the, the minority. It's not to say that I, I hear people say, well, there won't be very many people in heaven. <laughs> Come on. I'm thankful that there's going to be a blood wash band there. It is going to be a wonderful time there. Heaven is going to be populated. God's not a loser. But the reality is that in this world, we look around and, wow. Do you feel it? Minority. Everyone's going along with it. It's just what we got to do. Just what we got to do. Now, the Bible had told them, Exodus 20, in verse number 4, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Verse number 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them or serve them. This isn't a preference. This isn't a standard to be followed. This is a biblical truth. So what I'm saying there, there is no room for, for debating this. They could not bow down and honor God and obey God. They must stand upright. They must stand. And in the midst of this wicked, perverse generation, Peter tells us, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, not weird, but a peculiar, set-apart people, that ye may show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So they, they stand there. Now, I do believe there's some professional jealousy that is motivating, uh, motivating the reality these guys are going to get told on. It doesn't seem like the king knew about it until the, the guys come along. So they come along and, and tell on the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I love this part. I'm not, I'm not going to read it. I, I, want you to, I want you to follow along with this. I love this part. They come to the king and they, they tell the king, hey, king, you've made this. And they rehearse the decree like the king forgot what he wrote. And I find that sometimes people that are tattletaling and, and exposing Christians oftentimes are very, very, very precise in particular. And so they're, they're rehearsing it. You told exactly this, all people, all nations, all tongues, and here's the instruments you said to play, and at the moment they played, they're to bow down, and these guys didn't. They're in the minority. They're in the minority. Notice the mockery that comes. <laughs> the king says, well, is, is it true? Verse number 14, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego do, you, do you not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? You're not serving Bel and Marduk. You're not 
bowing down to my image. Oh, the mockery that was about to come. He says, don't you know I'm going to put you into a fiery furnace? And don't you know there's no God that can save you out of my hands? Look at it in verse number, in verse number 15, the end of it. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? That sounds pretty different than the end of chapter number two. I guess his words didn't really go all the way to his heart. And Nebuchadnezzar viewed himself as bigger than God. We can look at other people and say, hey, they view themselves as bigger than God, and we have plenty of those to look at. But friends, you and I can't view ourselves as bigger than God. You don't have the master plan for your life. And you follow the master's plan. Guys, listen. Just learn to follow God step by step each day. You might want to know where you're going to be in five years from now. I think you ought, if, if you make right decisions to obey and follow God today and worship him today, you'll be okay in five years from now. But you're not, you're not going to be able to, to, to manipulate all these details to be in the perfect position in five years, five years from now. Just follow him. Know him. And uh, so it's so very important for us not to see ourselves as larger than God. Nebuchadnezzar thought himself, hey, I'm I'm bigger than God. Who's going to deliver you out of my hands? And so there is a call to worship. There's a choice to stand, but there is a courage to suffer. And I want to encourage you with that. There's a courage to suffer. Notice that they feared God more than suffering. In verse number 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful. We're not anxious. We're not bothered. We're not, we're not worried to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Do you appreciate that, that rigid stand? Do you appreciate that, that strong conviction that's just given to us there? Did you notice that they said, uh, he's going to deliver us? Do you remember, do you realize that even, even for a martyr to die for Jesus Christ for the faith is still a victory? Scare us with death? There's an old poem that speaks about, about, about that. What? Afraid of death? And speaking about stepping into heaven's shores and seeing our Savior? Why should we be afraid? Now, humanly, we, we struggle with that. I understand. But the reality is, these guys knew that victory was theirs either, either way, and they believed God even to the death. The Bible says in Proverbs 9 and verse number 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. What did they fear? They feared the Lord, not Nebuchadnezzar. Oswald Chambers said it very, very well. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Which is difficult when ministry leaders fear everything else but God. 
And you know what? Our churches are full of people that fear everything else but God. They fear their bosses. They fear their family. They fear, and we're to call them. We're to call them to the fear of the Lord. So they feared God more than their suffering, but they found God in their suffering. Verse number 19, then Nebuchadnezzar, full of fury, and his form of his visage was changed. He got red, his veins popped out against Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the, the furnace one seven times more than want to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men, that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. You know what happens as they bring them up. The heat was so great that those guys end up dying. They ended up getting toasted. And there you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you imagine? How many of you have ever been? Have any of you been severely burned? One, a couple here. It's not fun. Can you imagine going up against this? I mean, they, they had just told the king, we're not bowing. Uh, my pastor preached a message, my pastor growing up preached a message on, on, the, on the book of Daniel. They wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't burn. <laughs> Write that down, guys. That's going to be a message for you. <laughs> I, I don't know that it was original. I think it's probably out there, so it's probably fair game by now. But there they are, standing in the middle of a fiery furnace. We get so afraid to take a stand for God because of the consequences. But they found God in the midst of this. Do you remember what what the king said? Verse number 25, look at it with me. He asked the question, didn't we throw in three? Did did an extra get thrown in? (laughs) Didn't we throw in three? Yes, king, we threw in three. Verse 25. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. That's amazing. Here's a pagan king, high on himself, full of himself, and he looks in and realizes God showed up for them. You know what the world needs to see? Is God showing up in our lives? We can preach and have all the right stands and dress right and look right and and do the right thing, get married right and all those things, but if the world does not see God with us, it's going to be a problem. If the world doesn't see the power of God in your life, there are plenty, there are plenty of young people in, 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 in Christian colleges that, that, that looked apart compared to the world and, and so on, but there's plenty that do not know the power of God. Friends, you can have it all, all your eyes dotted your t's crossed and if the power of god's not on your life and showing up in your life the world's going to sit back and say oh that's nice but it doesn't affect us guys we need the power of god to fall on our pulpits in our churches in your sunday school class on your bus you need the power of god and it starts with i have nothing lord i have nothing Listen, some of you guys might ask, you know, you ask older preachers and you, you think, well, hey, the preacher just has it all together. He comes to the pulpit. It's, it's, all, it's all put together. Uh, 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 that, that lady, she has it all put together. Her home's all put together. She knows how to do it. She knows how to raise kids. She knows how to counsel women, et cetera. You know, the people that are successful in the ministry are oftentimes, if you would get inside of their heart, oftentimes they are just laid out before the Lord saying, I got nothing. 
I have nothing to give, and unless you fill me and use me, I will, I will fail. Wouldn't you agree, those that are in ministry? It's constant. We have to learn to live there. And so here these guys are, the God himself is showing up in their, in their affliction and, and the world sees it. That's a powerful thing and, and we need that to happen. Paul told Timothy as he wrote the last, the last letter to Timothy, Timothy, everyone forsook me. Everyone did. Wait a minute, you say, you've led many people to the Lord. Yeah, all of them forsook me, notwithstanding when I stood before on Nero, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. We'll have to be okay with that. The Lord stood with me. You'll go through trials. You, can't, you can talk to people and they'll say, oh, that's awful. That's just awful. And at the end of the day, people can comfort a little, but it's only the comfort of the Lord. It's the presence of the Lord in your life through that that really is going to make the difference. And so when we courageously stand by the faith and stick by the word of God, we can be thankful and we can be assured that God's going to show up in that, in that moment. God's not going to leave you forsaken. Isn't the last thing that he told his disciples in the Great Commission? Hey, you guys go, I have a job for you. In this generation, take the, the gospel to the world. And by the way, lo, I'm with you always. I'm with you. Psalm 32, thou art my hiding place. Thou shall preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me with songs of deliverance. Selah. Think on that. What are you facing? If you'll set your eyes on worshiping God alone, it, it will make all the difference. Remember, who you worship, what you worship, determines the orientation of your life. You can be people-focused or you can be God-focused. And the world needs a God-focused group like you. There's communities across this, this nation. There are, there are places across this world that needs God-worshiping people like you. Who will you worship? It'll be very practical. It will be very, very specific instances where you're called to test on this. It might not be an image. It might be following a new policy in a city or in a workplace. Who will you worship? Who will you worship? I want to end with this. There was a, from the early, early church, well, go to verse number 28. Let me just finish off as he calls them out of the, the fiery furnace. Uh, do notice that Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. And have changed the king's word. That's a big deal because their word wasn't changed. And yielded their bodies. Boy, doesn't that sound like Romans 12.1? Yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, language, which uh, speak uh, um, uh, anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses made into a dunghill because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. God showed up and the king noticed and look how that day shifted. Diagnosis, 
was carefully investigating uh, Christianity. And uh, there was a letter that was written that really explains how the, how the early church, um, how they lived in a uh, hostile pagan world. And uh, it's just interesting. I, I want to read this and then we'll, we'll come to a, a conclusion here. The epistle um, goes to the church, although an insignificant, insignificantly small percentage of the population saw itself as a soul-like instrument of God to bring health or healing and hope to the world. The writer is audacious to describe believers as a third race. After pagans and Jews, it's a new race. The epistle goes on uh, to give invaluable description of the early believers in the second century. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry as do others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. You think abortion's a new thing. It's not. It's been happening for years child sacrifice go on it says they have a common table but not a common bed speaking of their purity they are in the flesh but they do not live after the flesh they they pass their days on earth but are citizens of heaven they obey the prescribed laws and at the same time per surpass the laws in their life they love all and are persecuted by all they are poor yet they make many rich they are completely destitute and yet enjoy complete abundance they are reviled and yet blessed when they do good they are punished as evildoers undergoing punishment they rejoice because they are brought to life that's what we want and it all comes down to who do you worship who do you worship well, I'm a Baptist college ministry. Certainly, I worship God. Not really. You could worship your friend's opinion. This is a personal thing. Who do you worship? I'm not talking about Falls Baptist Church and Baptist College of Ministry and the administrative staff and all that. Who do you worship? Because that's going to determine what you do when you're faced with the trial. And it will be a fiery trial. Because Peter told us, don't think it's strange when a fiery trial comes into your life. It will come. And who you worship now will set up, you to, uh, set up you to continue to worship God in the future. And I want to encourage you, make sure that you're worshiping God alone. Would you bow with me? Father, I ask that you would take this, this message. Satan himself tempted you to worship something else, to worship him. May we not give in to that temptation. Steal, steal us fortify us i pray that there would not be one in this room lord that would would turn and worship things other than you would we honor you would we worship you alone and we pray this in jesus name amen